Hey, thanks so much for joining me for this conversation um, and this episode. This is the fourth episode in the Transformation Project series here on I Used to Be a Therapist. I have been talking to women about how hard times in their life have resulted in amazing and positive change, and I'm loving this conversation, and today is no different. Today, I'm talking with Mala Kennedy. Mala is a mom of two sweet kiddos, and she lives in Western Australia with her partner. She studied ontological coaching at the Newfield Institute in Australia. And she also holds a master's of arts degree in digital production and a graduate certificate in business. She is quite the scholar. So Mala was born actually in Sri Lanka and was adopted by an Australian family as a baby. In our conversation, we talk about her experience with an autoimmune condition called vitiligo. This is a condition in which her skin is depigmented in certain parts and it can kind of spread too throughout her body. We talk in this interview about her stories of abandonment and feeling like she was not enough. And we talk about her story and experience of racism, prejudice, and marginalization. The conversation we had could not have come at a better time. You know, I I record these interviews several weeks ahead, and the schedule is already made. And when this interview came up, I couldn't believe that it was at this time. As this episode is going live, our country is in the middle of chaos, division, and uncertainty. We are faced with the fact that racism and ignorance around privilege and marginalization cannot be ignored any longer. These are conversations we must have. I am so glad that this interview comes out today. Please listen. Please hear the experience of my friend. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, Mala. Thank you so much for being on my show on the podcast today. I'm just super happy to have you. My absolute pleasure. I feel really blessed to be here and really looking forward to our chat today. This is so fun. You are all the way in Australia. I am. Yeah, I'm in Western Australia in a pretty small country town called Margaret River. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we're talking from Oregon to someplace in Western Australia. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? It is so wild. (laughs) My husband and son have been to Australia. They loved it. I love the US and I have family over there, but I haven't been to Oregon and I really want to go there. (laughs) Well, someday you just come and visit me. Okay. So tell us before we get started and hearing your story, which I'm really excited about, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your kiddos, your partner, all that stuff, your job, what you do? Yeah. So I have two beautiful kids. I have a four-year-old boy and a six-month-old daughter. So she's still just so fresh and little and precious and 
<sighs> yeah, I just having a daughter, I love my son so much. And then I had a daughter and it's, it's, there's, I have such different relationships with them both, but yeah. are so precious and so different in, in unique ways. But having a daughter is really, it really opened, cracked open something in me. Um, yeah. So that's amazing. And then, yeah, my partner, he's a um, photographer and videographer and a really great guy, really grounded. And um, yeah, we're a real family unit. We're real, yeah, we just are really close and have a really beautiful relationship. And yeah, so I coached women. I um, help them find their voice so they can love their life. And to me, that's really about tuning into just giving yourself permission to be yourself and mm-hmm. accept who you are and then step up into your power and your potential from that place and realizing you're enough so yeah it's it's really important work to me especially because of my experiences and yeah, yeah that's me I love travel um I love my spirituality I love to read being at home I'm a real home body as well so yeah mm. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing all of that with us. I'm excited about getting to hear more. So let's get right into your story. We're going to talk about a big change that happened in your life, but let's talk about the the life before that change. Mm. Well, yeah, it's interesting because in a way it feels like my my whole life has been kind of a change. But um, so I was adopted from Sri Lanka. So that really has influenced my whole life greatly mm-hmm. because um, I grew up with the, the the not belonging and really kind of not sure where I fit in. Um, and I had my mum, bless her, she has always been very overprotective mm-hmm. and controlling and we've had our, our big challenges through our life for sure. We're in a good place now, but it took a lot of stuff to get there mm-hmm. um and yeah so I was adopted and I grew up in Australia um I never I've only ever spoken English and my parents are Caucasian and I'm brown um so I always felt like there was something missing and I didn't really I had this deep fear of abandonment and rejection and not fitting in and I didn't feel like I fit in there was just there was something there for me yeah like my mum was yeah really just wanting to keep me safe and I really see that now but it was it it, it was challenging for me growing up and mm-hmm. um and then as I grew older I kind of was trying to deal with feeling abandoned by my birth family um and the stories that I'd heard and I didn't know what was true exactly about my birth family but it was I had these these ideas about my father leaving because of me and I later found out some more truths around that when I went back. I went back to Sri Lanka and met my birth family and my father was, he passed away when I was quite young in some quite horrible circumstances and I'm not really sure how of the full details but my assessment is that he didn't sound like the kindest man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always had kind of issues with around that with my relationship with my birth father that I think really influenced how I showed up to men. Uh-huh. And my adoptive father, while I love him, he's just amazing. 
but he was away a lot for business and stuff. So he wasn't really hand on. It was really a lot my mum and I uh-huh. um, and I ha- I'm really close to him in some ways but also really different and he's a great man but yeah he was away a lot as I was growing up and uh-huh. meeting my birth family I really realized I didn't belong there either mm. they treated me like a stranger they were very formal with me I didn't speak the language we had a translator and my whole experience of being in Sri Lanka really made me realize how I didn't fit into that culture either. So I was, I've, I always felt like I was kind of caught between two worlds. It was um, a really interesting place to be and it was a struggle for me and I really numbed the pain that I was feeling with alcohol and partying and for a long time living this life that just was like a blur and didn't serve me. It wasn't useful and, it, yeah, it was I, I look back at girl and I feel so much compassion for her because mm-hmm. she was so lost. I didn't have a sense of identity. I really didn't feel like I knew who I was till I was about 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of my story, yeah. What were your expectations for your life? I mean, as you're you know growing up and in your 20s, what did you expect to happen in life for you? I had really high expectations of my career in some ways. Like I always thought that... Um, I would work in like international relations or doing something like that because, you know, I studied politics and journalism, my undergrad. and But I also was so busy numbing my pain that I didn't apply myself in the way that I should. I kind of just coasted along and I was one of those people that could pass and get a decent grade without having to study very much. So. Mm-hmm. In some ways that was a blessing because I I got through uni but I think if I actually like really had been focused, you know, um, it could it would have probably possibly, you know, been very different but I just wasn't there. I was doing what I thought I kind of should do and then I also had like kind of expected that I'd like marry a really like successful husband and... It's weird to say that, but yeah, I kind of, that was kind of my expectations that I would be like, I, I, I was born into poverty, but I was raised in a really affluent family and wealthy mm-hmm. family. And I just expected that was going to be my life continuing on without having to put in a lot of effort. And it, it didn't really happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> and my partner's amazing and a really creative and driven person. And but we went through some really tough times too. Sure, of course. So let's talk about an event that changed you. Hmm. So it wasn't like one, it was one thing, I guess, but it wasn't like one moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I started developing vitiligo on my skin. So tell us what that is. So if that is what Michael Jackson had to lose the pigmentation in your skin and it's they say it's not caused by anything. I do strongly believe there are links to diet and stuff for sure. And I also kind of believe that I brought it into my existence because I was so focused on wanting to be white growing up. Mm. Um, I really, really didn't like how I looked. I didn't like being brown because I was so surrounded in this Caucasian society um, and I just wanted to blend in. Yeah. Um, so it was something I thought about a lot. But 
Yeah, I it's so it's a skin condition and it's really unpredictable. So you can't you cannot predict what's going to happen. So I had like this tiny little pat, white patch on my hand and it didn't it was just this one patch and so for years nothing really happened with it and so I kind of was like coasting along I was okay with it and then it after I had my son so I sometimes wonder if the the stress of going through like the birth and stuff triggered something in it too and I had postnatal depression so emotionally the emotional stress I was under was huge I was in a really dark place and that's when it really just took took its own course and flew off you know and it just progressed and there was a lot of fear for me because like this dream I kind of had was became a reality but it was my worst nightmare interesting Um, the dream you had became a reality but it was your worst nightmare Mm. it's an interesting way of saying that that happens with people Yeah, it does. And not just with that. I mean, lots of different people have different dreams that end up being their worst nightmare. That's fascinating. So you got this. And was there a moment in time, even though it's progressing over time, right, that you knew that something was going to have was going to change like this isn't good? Um, I just I remember being. Um, we moved, so we moved from Western Australia where I live now to the east coast of Australia and we were living like really close to Byron Bay actually, So, which is beautiful. I love it and I'd love to move back over there at some point. But we were living over there at the time and my skin had been progressing and I just remember at some point when I was there being like in a lot of fear around it and really realising that potentially it could like spread on my face and just, you know, like it seems like such a superficial thing, like your appearance and stuff. But mm. when when what you've known and what is like normal is taken away from you or potentially could be taken away from you, fear rises up. And like I still feel that fear sometimes for sure, but I've done a lot of work to to get to a place of peace and acceptance and stuff. And um, yeah, so when I was over there, I was really facing off with it and realizing that this could really change my appearance in really significant ways. Mm. Um, and that was scary because for so long nothing had happened. And so I'd just been like, oh, no, it's not that big a deal. I hadn't really faced it because mm-hmm. I didn't have to. And when you were having all that fear and you were so scared, what were your like your first responses? Well, I was really depressed. I really didn't, I really thought about ending my life. I really thought some really dark stuff because I just, I had tools, but I just, I wasn't in the mental space to use them Mm -hmm. and I didn't really know how to process it. And, you know, I, I, like I studied coaching and I, I, I did a really intensive diploma which looks at your emotions and your language and your body so I had all that stuff but I just couldn't go there I just it was just too much mentally there yeah yeah so I want to go back a little bit and talk about your desire before to maybe look like your parents or or to be white or to whatever it is not the way that you were what was that about and then what was it like for you around that when you started your skin started changing 
Well, it was about being a kid and just wanting to be accepted. And I have, there are definitely moments where, you know, there are moments in my childhood where I just remember like being alienated because of the color of my skin and like being called like derogatory terms and having experiences where I was told to go back to Sri Lanka where I came from and so really you know and as a young kid that's really Mm. um, it's foundational yeah it's tough and it it imprints you it Mm -hmm. really imprints on you because you're like oh hang on I'm different and so I may not have realized I was different and then I had these experiences where I was really shown that I was different Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to be Mm -hmm. I just wanted to belong I already thought my father had left because I was born and that my parents had given me away so I already felt abandoned Mm -hmm. um and then I wasn't like being accepted properly so I was really like that was really tough for me like for a little kid that's really really tough so you know being white hiding like I used to go in the sun I'd go to the beach and hide I'd wear a big hat I'd wear a long t-shirt because I didn't want to go darker so Mm. I do everything in my power to stay out of the sun and yeah even even as an adult I would have things I had some really very scary stuff happen that um was very about my skin color um Mm. And it really affected me um, mm-hmm. as well. So, yeah, there was there were there were definitely experiences that created that for me and made me feel really I wasn't happy in my skin because it was just make causing this separation for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that I experienced that I couldn't even put into words because it wasn't anything anyone said or it wasn't there was nothing. While there was that stuff, I also experienced subconscious things. It was, I don't know, there was just this like tone that was underlying that I felt an experience that I, that no one said anything and it just affected me so deeply that I felt like my perception of how other people saw me was so strong that I just didn't, I wanted to change. Mm-hmm. It's hard to put that into words. Oh, you've done a very good job putting it into words. (laughs) Those are great words and like such a hard experience and actually the experience of so many people, so many people, but then your skin kind of betrayed you. Is that the Mm. right way to say it? I don't even know. Yeah. Yeah, it did. And, um, you know, it's, it's so interesting because like, you know, I'm Australian. I, I've always lived here and it's amazing, but I really actually, I went to the US, I've been to the US a lot, I've lived in the US and I remember being in New York and I was I was treated differently and it was the first time I felt like I belonged was when I was in New York. Mm. There is so much diversity in over there, mm-hmm. so much diversity that it's it's amazing mm-hmm. and I was like, wow. I can't, and it was nothing anyone said either. It was just different. But, yeah, my skin, it did betray me and it was confronting. Yeah, 
So here you are in this really dark place. You just are even considering ending your life. What changed? Me, I guess. I I realized that if I didn't do something, I had to do something because I wouldn't be there and I didn't want my son to have to experience that pain mm-hmm. of not having a mum or feeling left or abandoned because because you felt that yeah and so I started doing some work like and a lot of like actual practices and yeah going into like facing my skin and doing a lot of mirror work kind of stuff to really come to a place of like I wasn't expecting to like love myself. I guess I that was the I I had the idealistic view of just like loving my skin and stuff. But that wasn't really the reality. It was more for me going from hating my skin and hating myself to being okay with it. Because mm-hmm. I think it's very unrealistic to say you can go from hating yourself to loving yourself. It's too big a jump. I don't think that's I think that that can put immense pressure on people and cause more trauma Mm -hmm. I think you have to start small so that's what I did and it takes so much time like Mm. that doesn't happen in overnight no it never doesn't it doesn't happen overnight just going from hating to accepting is takes time right and then Mm. going from accepting to the next step takes time. I mean, it just takes time to move to those mm. places. Yeah. And it takes commitment. Oh. You have to show up for yourself. Um, and with that commitment is persistence. Mm. So it would have been so much easier to give up, so much easier because the effort of showing up for myself and going through this thing that I didn't enjoy doing, like, the mirror work and the practices at first it was really hard it was it was just it was it was almost painful to do that but yeah it was it was a lot more difficult to try and like be okay with myself than to not oh it was worth it in the end it it got you someplace different Mm. when you were going through that pain right like in the middle of it, because now you're on the other, like on another side of it anyway, maybe not the other side, but another side. Mm. You're on this other side. But in the middle of that, did you find times of joy? Yeah. I mean, I had like during that process, I remember like I was, I was being supported. I, I did some like self love programs and stuff like that. And so there were definitely moments of, of joy. I really during that time, and I, I hadn't thought of that before, I really dove into fitness and that was actually not really a conscious thing. We were under like financial pressure at that time and as well. So that was like compounding it, I guess. But and my partner was working long hours and eventually he started doing drive-in, drive-out. So in Australia, FIFO is a really big thing, which is fly-in, fly-out mining stuff. Um, where you work, you fly out to the mine site and work away and stuff. Um, and my partner did drive in, drive out. So he would drive like the whole drive to the job site and be there for the weekend. He'd come back on weekends. And he did that for a few months during this time. So he took the car. We only had one car. So I didn't have a car. 
and we'd try and buy groceries like on the weekends so I'd have everything for the week. But the town where we lived, the the supermarket was 5K away, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I, I started, I needed to take my son out. He was about two and a half at the time and I needed to like stimulate him. So we'd started to go for walks and I just started running. Um, and just building up and I did it really slowly because I'm a big believer in doing everything in tiny steps and just building slowly so uh-huh. I would like walk and then I'd add a bit of running and then by the time he started like working away my partner I was running and we would run to town and we'd go into town and I'd go to the grocery store and put stuff in the bottom of the pram and take my son to the playground and then we'd walk home so we'd be out for like half the day but, you know, it was, I don't know if, how many miles it was, but 7 to 10K of uh-huh. like probably maybe even more by the time I went there and back. Uh-huh. So I was doing a lot of exercise. And it wasn't like a really deliberate conscious thing. It just evolved mm-hmm. into this like committed like fitness routine that I had. Um, and I was pushing the pram too so with my mm-hmm. son so it was like, good exercise and then I started doing a bit of exercise at home as well like Pilates and stuff too so I I was really like taking care of myself in that way I guess Uh um which was really supportive it really helped me get through I'm sure and you found some really some joyful moments in that yeah I love I loved it I loved running um and still I mean I've just had my baby girl like six months ago so I haven't been exercising and I'm missing it and I'm really um because I don't know there's something about running it just the thoughts go away because you're focusing on breathing I guess (laughs) yeah it's calming for me that's great well you were going through this really hard transformation of the way that you were seeing yourself and all of that it had to impact your relationships Mm. what did your relationships look like that was different or how did they change or what was happening with your relationships at that time well with my mom particularly before before this happened I set some really clear boundaries with her and we had a real relationship breakdown and we ended up not communicating for a few years and when that happened it was a catalyst for me to actually figure out who I was because I didn't have a sense of identity. I feel like I really lived my life for her and what I should be doing and what she wanted. And so in that time, I really discovered what my values were and what my beliefs about the world were, even things down to like my sense of style and fashion. I really kind of discovered that in that time. And I was 30, so I was old compared to when most people discover that kind of stuff. I didn't have that sense of identity because I was so focused on being a chameleon and just blending in and fitting in. So that, um, and we reconciled after a few years and we have a a good relationship now. But um, in that time, I really, it was a blessing because I really discovered who I was and I learned how to set boundaries for myself because I didn't know barely knew what a boundary was before that right and my partner and I like we both had like a he was working he was a plumber before he was a photographer so at the time he was plumbing and working 
physical stuff and the stress was so bad. He he had his own health issues. He was on workers' comp at one point. He got vertigo, had all these like massive health issues because of it. And he he's a really naturally like fit guy. I think he's had like a six-pack since he was about two, <laughs> just naturally. Like uh-huh. he's really fit, but he had massive back problems and stress and stuff. So we were both really depressed. So our relationship was we had each other. We were each other's rocks and I think we got each other through it. Like I don't know. We both were in like a dark place and we really got each other through together. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to have him. He's a re- And now like he is, he has one of the strongest mindsets of anyone I know. It's just incredible and he's incredibly grounded and just, yeah, amazing. He's an amazing guy. That's awesome. Mm. What about your friends? Or did you have a a tribe of people, or did you not? Mm. Did you grow it through then? Or I, you know, I felt pretty alone because we moved interstate, so we moved over to Western to from Western Australia. So all of my long term friends were there, um, and we moved to the Gold Coast for a year, and then we moved to Ballina. And none of them were there. So none of them saw what I went through. And I I kind of, I didn't, I mean, I'd speak to them on the phone here and there, but because there was so much distance between us, I didn't really open up a lot, I don't think. I kind of kept kept it to my, a lot of the stuff I was experiencing to myself. And um, so I felt very alone. And I think that also escalated all the emotions I was having because I was in this town and I knew I knew one person. So we knew our landlord who lived like I knew people in the Gold Coast that I'd met, but they were I, I didn't know them well. And then we knew our landlord and um our neighbor was this girl. And so I'd I'd spend a bit of time with her, but she had her own emotional stuff going on that was really draining for me. So really it was my son and I who I hung out with him every day and talked spoke to, to my two-year-old every day um oh. and while he's very cute it wasn't the like support that I really needed um I was in some coaching programs at the time so I kind of had like the people in that um I had more virtual friends and even now I feel like I'm in a town where I have some friends but my like dear like my long-term friends are in another in the city up in Perth so I don't talk to them a a lot just we're all busy we've all got kids and stuff Mm -hmm. so a lot of my relationships and the support that I have in my life even now is virtual a lot of it or online Mm -hmm. um yeah which is it's interesting but it's just how it's kind of panned out I don't want to I really don't want to live in Perth where I grew up I don't yeah. This is not the place for me to live. So I guess there's always space between my like long-term friends in that way. But mm-hmm. but when I see them, it's amazing. And when we do talk, it's amazing. It's just not all the time. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have created before this event, right, that's happening mm-hmm. at least while we're, while we're recording this, a lot of people have created before this a virtual community. And now that's beautiful. Like, right now mm. you have this community that just goes on as normal that other people don't have that or they haven't learned how to create that or how to even 
it feels like they're missing, you know, something. And now you're totally. And I'm so right now I'm in this program that um, is for, just for mums and it's like so supportive um, of like and especially with what's happening now, like it's a really supportive thing for emotions like the coach in that studied what I studied and um, it brings in some spiritual stuff too but it's a real mix and it's uh-huh. a really supportive and that I wish I had had this program then because it it I mean, I had a lot of support and I was doing all my practices and stuff and I was doing things, but this is another level. And it, yeah, I it, love it would have been really helpful then, but it all panned out how it was meant to. I truly believe that too. Yeah. And, and maybe you're, you're that now for somebody else who's going through mm. that stuff that's in your group, you know, like you can yeah. offer all the things that you needed before. Yeah. So is there a lesson I want to hear a little bit before we move on to what happened in the end, right? But is there a lesson that you have learned through this experience that you could not have learned any other way? Be a lesson about yourself or? Mm. I learned to just love, like accept myself. I, I don't think I would have, I don't think I would accept myself and who I am if I hadn't had this experience. Like I'm grateful for my vitiligo because it taught me what self-love is. Mm. I just, it, it taught me to be at peace and to be okay with who I am and to embrace that. So yeah, it was a huge lesson. That's great. It's amazing. Somebody told me the other day, I think on an interview actually, they were saying that the, the thing that helped them move forward was that the change in their mindset of the whole idea that life is happening to them, like life is happening to me, changed to life is happening for me. Mm. Right? Like all these things yeah. are happening, not just happening to me, but they're happening for me. Oh, yeah. Um, I so believe that. And I was such a victim for most of my life. I was really stuck in the like martyr and just being a total victim mm-hmm. of my circumstances and experiences and, yeah, it, I really started to take responsibility, mm-hmm. being responsible for my life and reflecting on it and looking at how I had been showing up because I was showing up in a really unconstructive way that was really victim and, like, like the partying thing, I would, like, create drama in my life so that to like be seen and to get attention because I just wanted people to like love me Mm. um and you know like I've been sober for a few years now and like I was actually sober earlier like 2013 for a year and then in between I'd like start it crept back into my life but it wasn't like a problem at that time Mm -hmm. it was more just um a vice that was kind of not allowing me to it was stopping me from being the person I could be mm. um, without being negative like it had been earlier on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I took responsibility and I let go of alcohol because it was getting in my way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, yeah, the mindset thing and taking taking responsibility for how you're showing up in your actions, even when things are painful, being accountable to yourself and committing to yourself is really huge. Yeah, those are some good words. 
awesome. Good, good wisdom. Okay. So where are you now, now that you've gone through all of that? Um, yeah, well, I feel like I'm in a, a really good place. Uh, there's always more work to do. I always, there's still definitely edges for me to lean into around, around this. I still have triggering moments. There are still moments where I notice another patch on my skin. I'm like, I feel that little shudder or that fear rise up, but I'm so well equipped now. And I, I do really appreciate my skin and what's happened. And, you know, like now I actually look at my hands and I'm like, wow, they're really beautiful. Like it's like unique, this pattern. Like I never could have done that before. And I, I mean it now. Like I actually feel like a fondness for like my skin and what's happened and my experiences because it's it's brought me to where I am. And, you know, I love that my kids are going to grow up seeing something that a lot of other kids would could perceive as different and it will be normal for them and that will help them with acceptance as well. And, yeah, so... I'm I'm in a really good place and really um yeah it's I'm really grateful. Wow. And you started doing things to like share your experience to help other people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I really dove into my own coaching practice and supporting women and um podcasting and just like sharing my story like this, which is amazing and I love it. Because I think when you give, when you share your story, it gives per- permission to other people to be okay with who they are. And I think that's mm-hmm. so important because so many people can feel really isolated by their circumstances, whether it's their appearance or their demographics or their social historical context, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think stories, are s- storytelling and stories, are really important mm-hmm. and for how healing. You, yeah, and how you tell your own story and how you find an ending to your story, like or or mm. a or a meaning to your story. Yeah. Oh, I'm big on storytelling. I think that's amazing. I love that. Okay. Yeah. I would love to know. I have a couple more questions. If you could go back now that you're in the place that you are, if you could go back being who you are now to yourself when you were at a really low place, maybe the lowest place that you can remember. And you could go back to that person and say to her something, what would you say? I would tell her to get sober. Really? Like that sounds simple and like, yeah, it sounds like a, it seems to me like a really simple answer and I don't know, but honestly, like that was the catalyst for me to actually look at myself and stop numbing the pain that I was feeling. Mm. And and by doing that, I could actually start embracing my flaws. Mm-hmm. So to me, like sobriety was like, I, you know, I don't wish I didn't, I don't have regrets and I'm not someone that wishes I'd done things differently. But if I was going to do things differently, I probably wouldn't have got so sober a lot sooner, sooner because it's opened up so much for me. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm really comfortable feeling my emotions now and facing off with them and exploring them. And even when I was just having like a glass of wine, like, well, you know, it wasn't, even when it wasn't a problem, it was still, oh, I'm stressed today. I need to relax. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to think about the like the stressful day. So I'll have a glass of wine. It would just, it would just um, numb the edges. So, and now like I feel everything and I love that about my life. I love that too. You know, I have said many times, so anybody who knows any of my stuff, I've said a lot that if people are dealing with addiction or any kind of addiction, that you can do a lot of work while you are, you know, in the middle of your addiction, you can. And if you're going to go to a therapist or you're going to go to a coach or you're going to go do any kind of personal development, you can do it while you are in the middle of your addiction. However, it is often like fixing the plumbing in a house that's burning down. Mm. You know, it's like you can do it, but it's not the thing that's the most important. Mm. You know, it's like you're going to fix it, but so what? Like, so what if you're in the middle of your addiction, you're not working on that. That's the thing that has to be dealt with before you can, mm-hmm. before the other things matter, you know? Yeah. And um, yeah, so I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. And I really, really believe that. And for me, um, like at the time, I both times when I let alcohol go, I wasn't drinking very much. I was having like a glass of sparkling water with a dash of wine kind of thing. Like, so it was almost pointless. And also like, it was a real choice for me. Mm-hmm. I was really, both times when I let it go, it was really easy for me because I wanted it. And I, I decided that it was in my past. Mm. So I was really blessed that it wasn't about willpower for me. I was coming from a place where I really wanted to let it go because I knew mm-hmm. that it wasn't serving me. And this, and the second time I gave it up was also my body started rejecting alcohol. So mm-hmm. that also made it a lot easier. Right. Um, it does make it easier. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think definitely what you just said about the, the like house burning down and stuff really resonates. It's, mm-hmm. it's just like a patch mm-hmm. over the source of the real issue yeah yeah okay and one more thing if you and I'm sure you do you get to see lots of people that are going through big changes and you know in your coaching world you you get to work with people who want change in their life or that are going through hard things in their life what Mm. are the top three things that people going through big life changes need to know So. One thing I would say is to like to really just surrender and trust like yourself and when really really tune into that because for so long I was really looking for answers outside of me and not trusting myself and doing what I should do. And it was get throwing me into this like people pleasing thing, and that was really detrimental for me. So I think just surrendering sometimes and allowing it to unfold 
and knowing that it's going to be okay. Like for me as well, being in the mess and finding like that acceptance for the mess was really helpful. And even right now, like being in the mess of everything right now, Mm. like, you know, life looks for most people, life is looking a lot different than it it normally would. Um, And fighting that. Yeah. Is like, can be a like tough thing because we're, we're in it. And so like accepting it and being with that can be, for me, it's really helped me just like accept it and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I love that. And then I'm trying to think. So there's that. And then I think tiny commitments. Mm-hmm. So like making really, really small little commitments to yourself. I'm a really big believer in incremental steps. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't just suddenly go from like nothing to everything. I took my time with it and I was really, really gentle with myself. So I just built up. I would like built the muscle really uh-huh. slowly and edged into it. Um, like some of my practices, I would start off, what well, was even like my fitness, for example, like I didn't jump into suddenly running 7Ks or 7 miles. I I started with one minute and yeah. then I'd add another 20 seconds. And so I I slowly did that and it was the same with my self-love and the mirror work things that I did. It was really, really gentle and almost, almost as if I was like tricking my mind into succeeding or like getting to the next step. Mm. Because I was doing it in such a, I was adding such a small amount to it every day that it didn't seem like anything. So mm-hmm. it made it feel easy. And I really, really believe that was instrumental for me. Uh-huh. And then I just think like you have to be really gentle with yourself. Mm. Um, and if you like what you perceive to be falling down, just keep going and just like give yourself a break because like I don't believe, I don't really believe in failure. I really kind of feel like everything is success. Um, And my partner, I remember my partner talking to someone about this. He was talking about this to someone once who was having a really tired time and like just as a mum, like struggling with the kids, partner was away a lot. And he labelled it in this way and it's how I really approach things now, seeing everything as a success. So like, Mm. wow, I got up out of bed today. That's a success. I managed to feed my kids. That's a success. Like shifting your like mindset and programming so that you see, notice the little things that you've managed to do and celebrate them, even if it's like, I brushed my teeth today Woo-hoo. and if you didn't, it doesn't matter. You you maybe you put away like a couple of clothes. Yeah, That's a success and anything that you perceive as a failure, there's a lesson there and there's a growth and it's a success because you learn what not to do. That's been really big for me. I love that. All three of those things are fabulous. Thank you. Okay. So before I ask my last three questions that I ask everybody on my podcast, First of all, thank you so much for 
telling your story and or being vulnerable and sharing with people. I love that. I, I think when you get to share your own story, it's like redeeming suffering, you know? Mm, definitely. And um, thank you for having me. It's been such an honor and a privilege and I love talking to you. Oh, thank you. Okay. So I want you to be able to share with everybody how we can get in touch with you, how we can hear more from you and where we can find you. Well, so my website is malakennedy.com. So that's M-A-L-A and then Kennedy, like mm-hmm. the president. And I spend a lot of time. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram. My Instagram is at Marla Loves. And I, I do spend a lot of time there. And then on Facebook, um, I think my page is the same. But I have a Facebook group too called Women Rising Together. Um, my hangout in there a lot too. I sh- like interview members and share their stories, which is really nice. And then I have a podcast as well called Elevate Your Life and Soul, which is kind of, that's one of my favorite things to do. I love, I really enjoy interviewing people and I really enjoy just talking to myself <laughs> as well. And there's something really cathartic about it. So yeah. That's really good. I, I have a hard time with that actually. I can't, (laughs) I love interviewing people and I love having conversations with people, but it's super hard, I think, to talk to yourself. For me, it's just hard. I I, I don't know why, but so I love it. Everybody needs to check out your podcast. I listened to, so it was really great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. No, I enjoy, I enjoy talking to myself. It's funny because I find live video, like I can do it, but I find that hard when I'm looking at myself and talking. I can't, my thoughts don't flow as well, so Oh, interesting. Well, I'll put all of that in the show notes so everybody can find all of the things that you're doing and punch you down. So (laughs) my last three questions I have for you that I ask everybody, the first one is, uh, and we might have already heard it, but maybe there's a different one that you'll want to tell us, but a pivotal event that changed you. Yeah, I can, I can do a different one. Um, in 2018, my partner and I sold our house and well, our stuff, and we went traveling around the world with our son for four months. Wow. And that was really, it didn't turn out, it wasn't the success that we thought it would be because we were going to travel vlog and stuff. So it didn't turn out in that way. But my partner got a new career. He discovered his love of photography. And I really realized on that trip that I really wanted to coach and I got to see lots of the world with my family and it was just an amazing experience that would be a pivotal event okay Mm. the next one is a person who changed you gosh I think I would really have to say my daughter Mm. since I mean she's so new but just I see so much so much hope in her and Mm. You know, I guess I mean my son, my son too, because he was the first person that I that I had that was related to me by blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was huge. And then my daughter, it was like I feel like she's like a reflection of me in some way. I love that. I guess I'd have to say both my kids. That's great. Yeah. The third one is a book that changed you. Oh, there are so many books. So I probably would say Spirit Junkie. So that's by Gabby Bernstein. It's kind of a bit of a biography about her her journey or a memoir about her journey to sobriety, I guess. 
um, hitting rock bottom and climbing up and that really, he really helped me see that you could have an amazing life without alcohol. So, yeah, I would say that book. Okay. Spirit Junkie. I have to check that out. I've not heard it. I heard about it. Mm. So it's, it's a, it's an easy read. It's maybe not the most life-changing book for a lot of people, but, but it really was, helped me at the time. You. It was what I needed. Good. Well, thank you again so much. I just loved getting to chat with you and getting to know mm. you a little bit more. And I'm looking forward to more conversations with you and definitely and stay safe down there, down under. <laughs> yeah thank you so much um it's yeah I really enjoyed it. I'm really grateful you invited me on today and yeah you stay safe too and I know that we'll definitely stay in touch and keep conversation going good thanks have a good day thank you oh I'm so thankful for Mala telling her story I'm thankful that she shared her truth and wisdom with us. It was quite a treat. You know, even though Mala lives on the other side of the world, literally, she has experienced the same pain and fear and abandonment and hatred as marginalized populations all over the world. Populations that are right here in our own towns and states and country. Mala talked about experiences both as a child and as an adult that made her feel that she was different. And she says, I didn't want to be different. I just wanted to be accepted. And because of these painful and awful experiences, she turned to self-hatred and self-destructive behaviors. And, and of course she did. This is what people do. When you don't feel like your life is valued by the world around you, it's almost impossible to value yourself and your own life. Namala got to the end of herself and decided she didn't want to live like that. She had the strength and courage to start on a path of healing. I loved that she said she needed to heal in little steps, slowly. It wasn't fast. She had to work through a lot of pain and a lot of betrayal and abandonment and abuse and injustice. I loved that she pointed out she could not go from hating herself to loving herself. She just had to get to acceptance. I kind of think that we all have to do that when we are healing from any pain. In all of the stories in The Transformation Project, we hear people go from the bottom of their life to an amazing place of healing. But the truth is that there were steps. We need to allow ourselves time to go through these steps and give ourselves grace. Pain to less pain, right? Less pain to acceptance. And it's okay. It's okay to, I see where it might help me grow. All of that leads to loving ourselves and our journey, but it's a journey. I have some questions for you now. First of all, how are you helping people value themselves? Do you value them? Are you helping your friends and kids and family, community, all the people around you value people the way they need to be valued? Are you willing to be an advocate for those who are being marginalized and hurt? 
Are you willing to have uncomfortable conversations about race and privilege and all the things that go with it? These are hard questions to really answer. It's one thing to say yes to them, but how are you going to take action? And second, we are all hurt by something or someone in our life, and we have the privilege to begin healing ourselves when we're ready. So where are you in your journey of healing? Have you been able to move from self-hatred in different areas of your life to at least accepting yourself? Are you doing the work to move forward toward self-love? It's a journey. It takes commitment and persistence and showing up for yourself, just like Mala said. But I tell you, you are worth it, I promise. You, my friend, are valued. You're valuable. And you are worthy of love. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes. And you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.